0: G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Uncle Leon, how you going, mate?
1: Bloody lovely, mate. Feeling fresh and recuperated after a nice Easter break. I've done very little except eat and hang around, playing guitars and play with the cat. Uh, what about you, mate? You
0: went away? I did. Yeah. So, firstly, apologies for the uh, one person that complained about the lack of episode last week. Uh, I was down south in uh, the Ferguson Valley farm stay with a family. So. Uh, yeah, no no recording, no gear talk for us.
1: Heaven on earth. For anyone unfamiliar with uh, southwestern, western Australia, it's essentially like, it looks like Ireland, like, you know, rolling green hills, but it's kind of got the climate where you can have vineyards and yep. all sorts of really, really nice things. So yeah, it's kind of a little paradise on earth. Don't tell anyone about it because uh, we like it that way. I'll bleeple this out yep Uh,
0: but yeah we were down south for a couple of days and now we're back and uh yeah so once again apologies for the lack of episode but we'll never do it again promise won't ever break anybody's heart from now Um, on
1: it's just going to be a consistent weekly grind
0: you know what i did remember leon i wanted to follow up about something um from the last episode we did because we talked about the nuno amp if you will remember
1: yeah. I'm so, very curious to pick this thread up.
0: Well, I had a little chat to our friend Chris Gibbs uh, on Monday. Um, awesome. The day before Shout I left. out to Chris. The day before, uh, the day I left, but the day before we should have recorded an episode, had I not been so um, selfish. Uh, but I, I said to him, hey, Chris, tell me about these King amps, because I'm curious. And is there anything you can tell me? He said, I can tell you everything. I was there. I was like, okay. He, was there.
1: he saw it all happen.
0: So there's a few things that... To be honest, it's been a week, and my memory is not what it used to be. Um, Mostly backed up everything that we discussed last week. Um, So, modded Ashton's. I think he said it was the Viper, the Ashton Viper. Um, One thing he did say that I thought was really interesting is that the Ashton stuff and the Randall stuff was all coming out of the same factory. Oh, really? Yeah. So, that is possibly how something interesting happened there but i guess at the same time like washburn and randall are the same company too right i think really? they i think so yeah. i'm pretty sure they're like in the same um because you had like your your dime bags with the, that
1: that actually I, makes a lot of sense I doesn't th- it
0: yeah i think it's all under the same umbrella I, look, if someone else wants to correct me on that that's fine um but there was a little bit of you know discussion there but originally that was what all these king amps were they were literally they were just modded um uh did ashton amps um i think i mentioned it in the episode last the last episode but nuno stopped using them because of reliability issues Interesting. right so he, he only toured with them for like a little little while and then they got um i wouldn't say put in the bin but he just sort of stopped um stopped endorsing them as much chris actually said something similar so he had a couple of them he had like a a head and he also had a combo and um he was working at music at the time so he had access to all these these amps but he was saying he gigged with it for a while but that it just like they were so hot rotted like these amps were like ultra ultra hot rotted to make them sound the way they sounded that they were just so unreliable and they're always going to be fixed so that was that's a part of the lineage of these amps
1: it's a bit like it's a bit like buying a sports car and you constantly have it in the shop because yeah it's a sports car and it's
0: pushing the limits exactly so You know, by all accounts, they sounded really good, but the reliability issues just didn't really make them viable at at any point. Like, I mean, Chris was doing a million um, gigs in Perth every week at the time, who knows, touring the world. I mean, there's different extremes of that. If you're playing in your bedroom, maybe that's a different story altogether. People um, who are actually working. Yeah, but I mean, like, these the Ashton amps, like, they were inexpensive as they were. They weren't built with the highest quality components, so no doubt they're going to have, if you're pushing them hard, um, either... Through the circuit that you're um, modding to get them to sound that way, or yeah, just yeah. through um, through playing them loud all the time, they're just not going to hold up, and that's that's true. So Chris said, um, uh, after a period of time, the two amps he had ended up going back to the shop, and I guess they got sold or resold or yeah, cannibalised right. into other amps. He doesn't have them anymore, but um, yeah, I mean that was that was probably about ten ish years ago, and so uh, it's a really
1: curious piece of a amp history, but also, you know, again for the fact that it's Perth as well. Yeah. You know, these these little stories that kind of percolate in and out and just the number of people doing cool stuff, you know, one way or another and trying trying things and, you know, constantly I I, I often listen to, you know, all the other stuff that I listen to and watch. It really seems like you know, no, nah, there was like three people and they all lived in LA and they're the people who knew how to tinker with amps. But in reality, yep. people are doing this all around the world.
0: Yeah. People have got their own ideas. I mean, there's like, there's guru, electronics gurus in Perth that, um, I'll shout out John Galbraith who taught me, uh, electronics, although, I mean, to, to be fair, I didn't pay that much attention, but he taught me enough where I can get by. He taught, taught me... you everything, you know, but not everything he knows. Yeah. He probably taught me like half a percent of what he knows. Yeah. Yeah. And then I forgot most of that anyway, but it's like you give him anything with, um, electricity in it and he understands how it works and can, and can fix something. Like, I mean, a quick story is, um, I remember going back probably 15 years ago, my friend had a Marshall AVT and it blew up. And he took the amp to, uh, one of the local amp techs in Perth to say like, look, my amp's broken and I need to get it replaced. The guy said, cool, no worries. 300 bucks to open it up. And then, um, I think he said it's going to be costing you three, four, $500 to fix this amp. And my friend was like, man, AVT. Is a AVT head, like yeah. 150 watt head. It's like, well, what's the point buying new amp, you know? So anyway, we ended up taking it to John and, um, I had to drive my friend. He didn't have a driver's license. So it we, we This friend him. was not me. No by the way. different. Because <laughs> you did you did have to do a lot of driving of me back in the day. Yeah, but you've paid that back and then some Uncle Leon. So you're off the hook now. But I took my friend with his amp to um to this to John's shop and said, Look, the he said amp's not working. Um, do you reckon you can take a look at it because I've been quoted all this money to fix it? And John opened it up and he looks inside it, gets multimeter out, D-d-d-d. yep, that resistor's gone. Here's another one, solder on top and you're done. It's like, Wait, what? He said, Yeah, yeah, that resistor there is not working uh it took john three minutes it's not working just solder on top so wait you mean just take the old resistor no no just leave the one that's there it's very easy just pop it down i just can't be i don't want to do it like that was his thing yeah. i don't want to have to do this but that's how you do it to fix it see you later and sure enough the amp worked and i mean i, I haven't seen my friend for a little while so presumably it's probably still working or maybe it's got other problems but it's That's just the like... Thing. That's the yeah. thing
1: I've seen my dad do a lot in the past with, you know, people bring around these guitars that are apparently broken and mm-hmm. similar thing. Oh, I got quoted $250 to do this. And, you know, he kind of disappears into his cave of wonders and he comes out with some, like, you know, Soviet spec bushing <laughs> and goes, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's this particular model, this thing. What you want to do is you want to take this, then you want to dis- basically you go and do the work but you put this thing where i tell you to put it and it will fix it and so many times that's worked or you know someone's come in and they've been like oh you know my guitar needs you know a refret or something like that and he'll look at it and go like no 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 mate do this see that there see that truss rod cover yeah you're going to pull that off and see this tool that's already in your guitar bag yeah, you're going you're gonna to twist that thing uh, an eighth of a turn mm-hmm. and now play it and, you know, that fret buzz, it's gone. Yeah. Congratulations. You're you're a genius. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, that kind of feels like, uh, you know, like a, those sort of people are really a dying breed.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there's an entire industry of amp techs and all that is required. And I don't want to shit on that industry by saying, oh, this guy overcharged to fix one resistor. Because unfortunately, it takes like a significant amount of time and energy to get to the point when you can do any of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think like... And even, you know, if you're
1: constantly having to churn through, not just people's amps, but like PAs and all the other electronic things that, you know, then your time is valuable. So to even diagnose something, of course, it's going to cost money.
0: Yeah, it just so happens like you know we knew someone that was good enough and had yeah. had a spare 5 minutes to crack it open not everybody has that luxury so um yeah but i mean that's for you and i man that's that's what we're very lucky we know a lot of people it's how we have access to so much gear and have for so long as well it's be right nice pl- to people ladies and gentlemen it pays off in the long run absolutely um so i think that's oh you know what i was going to tell you mate is um so i just bought this uh, finally I found, I mean, not fun. They didn't try that hard, but I, I got a, um, a Celestian uh, G12H 70th anniversary. Ah, oh, that's right. You, I think you did mention that. Have you Have you got it? Yeah, I have it. It was in my car. Um, it's now in my amp.
1: Yes. So
0: I haven't, I, I was, I'd finished it. When you texted me like, oh, what time do you want to do this podcast? I was screwing the thing in. So I haven't invited the amp up. But it's in the uh, it's in the app. now. I paid a hundred dollars for it, hundred dollars Australian, which is pretty good. Picked it up in Morley, just around the corner. Um, so that I, I'm re- I'm really curious to hear what it sounds like. The guy I bought it off said it sounded kind of thin, and in his estimation, it may actually be broken. But he said the tech that replaced it because I think he had a okay. He didn't say what he uh, what he replaced it with, but I think he said it came out of an Orange thunder What is it? Th thirty maybe. Yeah. So, I don't know what that... Uh, it's a, like a combo. I don't know what the cabinet looks like. Um, I'm not sure if there was another problem down the track, but I'll fire it up and, and hear what it sounds like yeah. anyway. But here's a funny story for you, Uncle Leon. So, it's in my pink cab, which I refer to as Pinky. Uh, it's probably in that photo that I put up on Instagram a few weeks ago. I'm looking at it right now. So you when it's call the green one Brain. That's actually pretty clever. Better than calling it greeny, which I have been calling it. Yeah. Okay. I'll call it brain for now on. Thinking in the brain. (laughs) So I put that cab together like six months ago and I had in there, uh, your two warehouse speakers. Uh, so the green beret in the top left and then the Reaper in the top right. And then in the bottom left, uh, G12, uh, sorry, the, um, the T75 that came out of a JCM 800 cab. And then in the bottom right, was a greenback that came out of the, I call it the Rosetti cab, so just a 4x12 greenback from early 2000s-ish, which sounds really good. It was the best sounding speaker in that. Or so I thought, Leon, <laughs> because as, as it turns out, um, I, when I opened up the cabinet, the, where the green beret is supposed to be is just another greenback, which <laughs> is fine, but I have no idea where your green beret is. Like it's at the studio somewhere, but it's I, in the complex. Yeah, I don't know what cabinet it's in. Like it's, it, it literally could be in a number of places. I'm looking at the green cab because it doesn't have the grill in the front, and um, I can you know tell what what speaker what, and the greenbacks have a much smaller dust cap, so I, it's definitely not in that cab because the uh, T75s that I know are in that cab have much bigger dust caps. So where the fuck is this speaker? It may be in your 4x12 that's downstairs in revolver still, possibly, because yep. um, that's where I had pinched it out of. I definitely remember taking it out. Like, and I. You know, these are.
1: I think part of the fun of all these projects is, you know, as much as you assemble things, you also kind of semi lose things for a while. And then it's like you're back on the hunt.
0: Yeah. I, I'm sort of. I really want that cab to be like the two warehouses and then the two Celestians though. So I'm kind of bummed <laughs> and I I couldn't find my electric drill this morning. So I had to use a manual screwdriver like an idiot. Yeah. That's a bit, that's um, a bit tricky, isn't it? So I'll find the screwdriver. I'll, I'll find the speaker, stick him in there and then we'll hear what it sounds like. But I mean, I've been, to be fair, I've been telling people it's a greenback. I've been miking it for the last like a few months and recording with it quite a bit. And in my brain, it's been, like just a a greenback anyway, but it's you know kind of not. Yeah, but it has as it turns out just been a normal it's like, greenback. Wow, they really
1: really nailed this greenback tone with this greenback knockoff.
0: Yeah, I mean it's kind of like it's a <laughs> bummer because it's not the best. It theoretically they're not best, not the best sounding greenback in that cabinet as well. The bottom right one is. So yeah, anyway, right. it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, I'm still going to fire it up. I'll, I'll have a listen to that speaker today once we finish up here and then see how she goes. Um, and I will say yeah, actually just. Quickly, the reason, before we you segue into the topics of today, the reason I got on this whole, whole speaker train, like, a few months ago, was because of the Splawn Nitro, which I mentioned a few times. It's just, like, it sounds so horrendous, like, so horrendous with green, uh, with um, V30s, in my opinion, but as soon as you chuck it through a, like, Greenback or something like that, it sounds like a million bucks, and um, Fascinating. it's come up in a few other videos, like watching some other videos of like, I watched this, um, thing the other day with him and, um, uh, Joe Bresi talking about like the, uh, that was
1: such a great video. Yeah. That was wicked. Hey, like I really, really enjoyed that. That I th- was, well, I'd watched an entire documentary series of just
0: Steve going to people's studios. Yeah. Well, I think they did a, like a podcast episode, which is two hours long. I'll, I'll listen to that at some point. But uh, my point was like, they like matching the amp that you've, got there with the speaker it's designed to work with is probably a lot more uh, important to consider <laughs> with um, you know with getting guitar sounds in the studio or live or whatever like um, I mean they talk about it with the high watts and stuff uh, for me it was the Splawn like I had to go on the Splawn make it sound like it was really hard I went on the Splawn website what does he sell in his cabinets and as it turns out it was you order them with greenbacks or you order them with um, G12H's And it's like, oh, well, there There you go. go. That's why I want to try these. So here's the thing. If you're designing an amp
1: around a particular cabinet, you're locked into the impedance that that cabinet is providing to the amp as well. And, you know, speaker cabinets and different speakers have wildly different, like, impedance characteristics. This is one thing which Fractal does in the Axe FX, which I think is actually, I, I know... Like line six in the helix, they have like impedance curves, but they're built in, but you can change them in the fractal and modify right. them. and it is such a you know it's not like a primary factor, but it's probably one of those things where it's like a secondary factor in the feel and the tone of that's what are it, getting
0: it's not an eq curve thing, right It's the weight when you're digging in and whatever yeah, just like it's the way dynamic. It, yeah, it's dynamic yeah dynamic
1: so and but it does really change the character of the amplifiers. so something like the spawn, which has uh buttload of low end in it, like, mm. you know, it's, and low mids, and that's, like, one thing that changes massively, uh, and then even if you, like, different load boxes, you know, like, the two notes load boxes and the universal audio aux, they they don't look like a proper speaker impedance at all, they, they're this kind of inverse bell curve shape, Right. Um, and if you look at a green back, you know, it's it's got a very particular impedance curve or like a a Mesa cabinet with V30s has a very, very different looking, you know, like the oversized straight ones, they have this like resonant frequency around like 70-ish hertz versus, I don't know, something like an orange cab, which has a much higher kind of low resonant frequency, almost it's like 120, 130 hertz. So big, big difference in the way you like perceive low end and, you know, if you're playing par mutes and stuff like that. So I reckon that might have to do with the spawn as well as like the V30 cab impedance, not playing nice with it, but that's a whole other rabbit hole as well. But it is super interesting. If if you're designing the amp around it, you'll tune it to that particular cabinet and that particular speaker and yeah.
0: Well, man, I'd really like to talk to uh, Jason if we can get him on for a chat at some point about like that side of things. Um, It's, yeah, it's just like, it's a, it's, I remember looking at the extra menus in the Fractal, like trying to dial in amps and I'm like, I don't know what any of this stuff does. And it's, it's, it's so like overwhelming. It can be so overwhelming because outside of bass, middle, treble presence, like what is, what does this stuff mean? And you understand it now. I have a semi grasp on it from. Well,
1: look, I don't understand it. Cliff understands it and he puts it there for users to mess around with. And I just kind of mess around with it and figure out the, the like parts of it that I like. Yeah. But in terms of like having,
0: having like a massive rack of amps like I have, or, you know, even talking about the Synergy stuff. Um, that's the one part that is really confusing to me. If I think about like how everything is supposed to work in a specific e- ecosystem is like, you know, okay, there's there's the amp side, there's the head side, but the speaker side, it's just more than a one thing. It's more than just a frequency response, you know, it's, um, yeah. and then obviously, as you said, the cabinet or the speaker impedance or all these things or the environment that is in, it's like, man, that's. I wouldn't say it's like harder, but it's like, it's so overlooked. I think, um, it's more than like your guitar pedals, you know, it's the, uh, the, the physical movement of air and this stuff. It's just, it gets really confusing. Um, and I think for me where I'm, I'm, uh, really getting obsessed at the moment is, um, like just understanding all these factors and how they contribute to a guitar sound. Um, spending a lot of time and energy and, and, and money to buy the cabinets yeah. and the speakers and stuff to, to understand it. But, um, put your it, money where your mouth is. I don't know. Maybe I'll sort of work something out sometime, but speaking of synergy, uncle Leon, but a boom, we couldn't talk about
1: this the other week cause it wasn't out yet, but yep. I've, uh, I've been super excited for it cause it's super good. Um,
0: and here yeah, is one week later, <laughs> breaking here it is, news. One week
1: later, breaking news. Uh, hopefully people have watched the video on my channel and a bunch of other channels because, that's how video embargoes work. But yeah, it's Synergy have a 6505 module with PV and it sounds amazing. Um, I, when I found out about that and when they sent me one, um, it was one of those things where I kind of just plugged it in and <laughs> you know, I didn't really touch anything on it. I just like slotted it in and fired it up and played and then played guitar for half an hour, just loving the sound of it. Mm-hmm thinking in my head, you know, my preconceptions being, oh, you know, 6505, like you got to boost them because everybody boosts them and you need V30s and all this kind of stuff because that's the vibe. But yeah, just with like greenbacks and a guitar, you know, guitar straight into module into power amp into cab. It's awesome. It was the easiest demo video to do as well because it just sounds like it kind of sounds the way a 5150 6505 has always sounded in my head. Um, but never really I've never really been able to get out of a head when I've tried one. Right. Um and you know, I had that one by twelve combo <laughs> as my touring app for years as well. And it didn't really set, I mean, different speakers and a little cab. back cab and, as well? Yeah, semi open back cab. Um that thing was a godsend. Do
0: you Do that, like you, you I remember, remember yeah. That?
1: You remember well, though, going to Guitar Center, Oklahoma City, and (sighs) suffering through me trying every single amp in there. We were there for so
0: long, man. We were there for four hours or something. It was ridiculous. And going, Leon, you should try
1: this PV because it'll probably just work. And then I tried it, and I was like, "Yeah, you're right." Well, because Uh, before that,
0: before that, I mean, this is 2012, and you know, we were doing all the gigs together where you were using a Blues Junior and (laughs) an an tube screamers. Yeah. Oh no, an OCD. Remember. So it was kind of like, oh, did you have the ragdoll pedal, the Johnny C ragdoll pedal at that point?
1: Uh, I did, yeah. There was definitely a period. No, there was definitely a period where I was. I feel like I actually bought the OCD in America and bought it back. I I feel like those bar orient gigs we were doing, I was like, I, I just remember a period where I had two tube screamers, and that was like tube screamer always on into the blues junior with like a telly or that P90 hamer and then I'd use the other tube screamer for more gain but then probably definitely OCD at some point
0: you're forgetting the boss ME50 oh yeah that thing that was man. more I thought that was more influential in the tone than anything else like maybe I don't actually remember the tube screamers but you are probably right maybe, um, i think maybe the tube screamers came a little later where i was using that for when i was playing with Ryan and Cam
1: um, and we were doing little gigs with the blues junior and uh, maybe I did one gig with two tube screamers and it's just how I choose to remember the past. Yep. Um, <laughs> so funny. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what was I on about? So yeah, yeah, so the, yeah,
0: the, we uh, tried every amp. Yeah, 6505. Do you remember what and speaker then, was in that? Was that the Sheffield thing? Must have been. Um, But it's, I used that amp great, so though. much. I think really I did. Good. I worked it out
1: at one stage. Um, I did probably about 40 gigs on it in America. And, you know, it just getting no regard thrown in and out of the car, all the dust and dirt that got into it. We did a gig. uh, So (laughs) this is funny, right? Um, We did a gig at this place called the Booby Trap in Topeka, which was like, they did gigs on a Tuesday night. So it was always, you could do your, this was in 2013, you know, where we were like booking gigs on the on the fly, you could do your Friday, Saturday, Sunday shows in like a kind of bigger city and then on your way through to, you know, wherever you were going, um, we, we did a bunch of shows in like Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, that was kind of the big loop. So we did like three or four big loops. And each time on one loop, you'd be like, on the Tuesday, we'll go to Topeka, Kansas, and we'll do the booby trap. It was a fun, fun gig. And I think what happened there one night was we'd done it a few times and the guy running the bar, who was also the sound guy, just, I remember him going, ah, there's a DI out on this. I'll just use that instead of micing it. And there was a ground lift on it. And I think he lifted the ground and just didn't mention anything. And then the next couple of gigs, this amp, like every couple of songs, would just go like, (laughs) it it was the worst noises, man. I was like, ah, this thing's a bit cooked. And, um, got got through a few more gigs with it and just being like yeah i gotta fix this which often was me just turning around and like kicking the amp as hard as i could could mm-hmm. um and that would fix it for a few songs man that poor amp anyway uh we were in vegas and uh rosetti you know friend friend of the podcast nick Rossetti, previous uh, owner in- of my
0: greenbacks cab
1: yeah, you know, he, he was there with EC and they were at one of the shows and the amp started doing the thing and he runs up to me. He's like, bro, the ground lift, the ground lift. Um, I was like, what are you talking about? It's like there's a button on the back, press it. It shouldn't be in. Um, and this is from Nick who famously… Literally with, knows it, nothing. You know, he'll, he'll tell you. He's like, I don't know how anything works. I just, you know, I just look up what people I like use. And, you know, this was the first gig we did. He's like, bro. I normally color code all my cables. I've got new cables. What do I do? So I helped (laughs) him plug his rig in and then he just (laughs) color coded everything and he was sweet. So I was like, are you sure, Nick? Like normally, normally you're the first person to tell me you don't know what's going on. Sure enough, it was the ground lift switch. So a couple of days later, I went to Guitar Center in Ventura and I traded that amp in for, (laughs) what did I trade it in for? I feel like I paid four hundred dollars for it, and I traded it in for maybe three hundred dollars. Yeah, so I remember I it did, was
0: four hundred bucks. I remember. I, I worked US. out it
1: cost me about two dollars fifty a gig to use that amp, which is pretty awesome. I, I'll pay that. Uh, I'll pay that any day of the week. So yeah. And then the next year, I came back and I bought another one. So did even more gigs with that. And I traded that one in twenty nineteen when I was back in the states for a Fishman Triple Play pickup. Oh, yeah, right. Because it was just sitting at my in-law's place taking up space and I was like, look, I'm going to get rid of this amp. There's, um, and I actually saw, I remember we played with more than one band where the guitar players had taken those combos and converted them into heads. It was sort of like, yeah, you can pick one of these up secondhand for three, 400 bucks and just smack it into a head shell and you basically got a 6505. Are they on still the
0: 100 watt or are they like 60s or 120 watts? Uh, I, I feel like the combo might have been maybe
1: 60 watts. Yeah, um, I feel like, I'm yeah, going to look it up.
0: it have to be 60, surely.
1: The 6505-112+. Uh, that thing saved my life on, yeah, 60 watts. There yeah, you go. There you go. Uh, I'm um, so, like, I almost, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to buy one,
0: but I almost want to get one here just to have for the fact that it's like, yeah, that thing was. They are more expensive here than you would expect. I've seen them come up before for, like, maybe 1,200 Australian, which is just yeah. too much. Um, Which
1: ain't gonna happen.
0: Um, do you remember we, Yeah,
1: 1200 Australian dollars. I'm looking at one right there you now. Go. So, so that's my experience with that type of amp.
0: I got two more stories actually about that, because uh, about that amp and you and I in the studio. So, firstly, <laughs> okay, yeah. firstly, because uh, yeah, there's be two, I, I don't know if you remember both of them, but number one, I think I do. Um, Friend of uh, friend of ours, Mike Lyon. So we did a an EP with him a couple of years ago. That was around twenty fourteen, which you played all the guitars on. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, and uh, he had the sixty five. Th- is it three four? Is that what it was called the sixty 60- the El thirty four version? There's the oh, what's it called? The thirty something. It's a thirty four. Whatever the thirty four uh, El thirty four version is of the sixty five oh five combo. That's what he had. The thirty one twenty. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Anyway, whatever whatever it was, that's what he had. And um, he really wanted to use, even though you were playing guitar, he really wanted you to use his amp and his guitars when possible. He had a Jim that's Root right. telly, uh with EMGs in it, and he also had this um, this amp. I remember not liking the Jim Root Telly that much, but the amp sounded pretty good. So anyway, plugged that in, r- did the, the same thing I always do, like unplug the main speaker and run it through the wall. And then within like maybe half of tracking one song amp just blew up. <laughs> I do remember that. Well, it was
1: kind of like, yeah, okay. It sounded, it sounded good. And then the, you know, the magical
0: purple smoke. Yep. And so, the room. so that was done. Um, and I think, I don't remember what we used after that. It would have been probably pre-recto. I don't think you were using rectos at that point.
1: I, I feel like we kind of used that EP as a bit of a trial run for, cause I just got back from the States and I just got my single cut. So we were pretty oh, keen yeah. to use that guitar. Do you remember what amp, it sounded, what amp was it though? There was definitely some uh, Tiny Terror happening
0: on there. Okay. And... Oh, I, d- I wouldn't have had... like a, oh, I might have had the Splawn at that point, but I don't remember using it did on Did you that. have your Marshall at that time? I'd I would had the Marshall. May yeah, maybe we tried the Marshall. I think it but but might have
1: been Marshall. And like, I, I remember using the Tiny Terror quite a
0: lot on that and have, just being like, yeah, this is cool. What about the Jet City? Would we have used that or the uh, Soldano or anything? Yeah, maybe there was there was definitely yeah because you got
1: your Marshall and we retracked four Ragdoll songs. Oh, that's right. And ended up releasing them in twenty fourteen. That's right. right. So yeah, yeah that anyway, was you definitely had your Marshall. Anyway, the Marshall, long story but, short, we blew his amp up.
0: But then twenty fifteen, because um, I picked up my uh, fifty one fifty two. In that uh, get right. getting back from america in 2015 i got that and a cabinet for really cheap like 800 australian and then pretty much immediately sold the 4x12 because i just didn't think i really was going to use it at all um and then we went to use that because when there's a picture of us online actually of like getting it was end of 2015 getting ready to track that um back to zero yeah yeah there's probably like about 10 12 amps in this one picture and we went through every single one of them did some due diligence uh, and I remember really liking the 5152.
1: Yeah, like yeah. A lot. I, re- I remember uh, tight drive into it was the yeah. was where the party was at.
0: And then that blew up after like one song, like or maybe even in the middle of tracking I one song. I don't think we
1: even got through tracking a whole song. Yeah, it but was
0: like, oh, really? Cooked it. So then got that one fixed. Um, and then I ended up using it for a few years later. I sold it recently because I picked up a fifty-one fifty. Uh, script so like the um, original one, not the block letter, the one that came just after that um, from Cash Converters for like seven hundred bucks or something, which is yeah. very very cheap. Seven hundred a year, and then um, ended up flipping that out for a little bit more money. But the um, the, the other funny thing, Leon, if you remember, is uh, also friends of the show Chaos Divine. Who, if you like your progressive heavy metal, go check them out. Hundred um, percent great. We, we went through an even more exhaustive. Uh, investigation that was one for the ages i don't think
1: that i don't think that's like you know the roman emperors would have been proud of the excess of that one
0: yeah so they were recording the guitars for their uh last album uh here and that was in 2018 so we they had borrowed or we had a total of 23 amps to go through to find what was going to work for this project which is quite a lot and i believe it was all plugged. Originally, it was all running through my vintage 30 cab. And I had like three mics on it with like 50, SM57, uh, MD421, Royal 121, all the, all the usual suspects. We went through one at a time, played some stuff. I didn't have a reamper at that point. So it was literally just like, oh, what do you like the sound of? And cranked them all up. And the winning amp was a 5153 100 watt. That they'd That's borrowed. right.
1: I remember that sounding
0: It sounded awesome. really good um and they i think they used a few other things over the course of tracking the album but like that was the main one for all the rhythms which at, at the moment is probably like metal standard it's just like the sound of the last like what five six seven eight years whatever ten years yeah probably. you
1: know they i i, I remember kind of because they had a 50 watt version of that head that was like it wasn't a lunchbox head but yes yeah, it was it just a sm- full-size they head. still make that Yeah. Yeah. And I remember maybe around 2015, 2016 um, being in the States and the shows we were doing, like everyone had one of those amps. It was, it was crazy. Like nearly every band we played with, like the guitar players had those amps and they sounded awesome.
0: Well, yeah. Like, and actually with this, with the Chaos Divine thing, I remember they had, um, they had both those versions too, both in white, like a hundred watt version and a 50 watt watt version. But anyway, um, and before I get to the, logical conclusion of this story uh what happened was i thought fuck it like i had a i had my cruise control um amp selector at the time so it was you can have um one head in but send it to multiple cabinets so after doing a little bit of messing around with just the v30s i threw up the the Greenback's cab the the rosetti greenback cab and uh just i think i just put a 57 on it and i was 57 in arroyo um and i was like oh have a listen to this one as well because we may as well Uh, hear what it sounds like. So here's the V30. That sounds really good. Here's the green max. Oh, that sounds really good. What does it sound like together? Bam, put them on. And it was just awesome. It was like such a great guitar Mm -hmm. sound. And I was actually, I had it patched in on my SSL summing mixer. And I mentioned this the other week, but, um, all these mics come into five different inputs on the, on the summing mixer. And then it goes into one input in pro tools. So you have the sound committed basically with all the the mics leveled out. But anyway, one thing I didn't do, and I, I sort of thought about this well after the fact, um, but I didn't actually change the impedance on the back of the amp because yeah, it said splitting to two. So you, you're halving the impedance. So I think it would have been set at 16 uh, ohms, but in fact, it was driving into eight ohm loads, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's two parallel outputs. So it'd be into. So anyway, um, they got through seven or eight songs then blew up the 5150 100 watt version.
1: <laughs> so
0: awesome. So that's I, three. I, I, see I
1: developing here. Yeah.
0: So three well, of these heads. Well,
1: okay. Let, let, let's think about this, really. Yeah. Uh, there's the Mike Lyon explosion. There's the Chaos explosion. There's the Back to Zero explosion. And there's basically the one I pretty much wrecked. And Which one was that? Oh, yeah, that one. The yeah. one, 112 combo because it was it's a bit cooked. Yeah. But it worked in the store and guitar center when they tried it out. So... Apologies, Guitar Center Ventura. You bought a lemon.
0: Yep. But you know what? Like, I mean, the sound of it is awesome. So that's fine. The amp, The well, I mean, just to finish the last story, they ended up finishing a lot more tracking with the, uh, the 50-watt version, which apparently sounded pretty much the same, but not 100%, but good enough. Uh, w- at least in the meantime that they were able to get the 100-watt fixed. So they got that fixed, swapped that back in. Who knows what song was recorded with what. That's but cool. still awesome sounding amps. Um, and... Yeah, uh, actually, before we talk about sorry, this has been a lot way long detour to talk about the signature module, but like I think just one more thing. I reckon it was again maybe a Fryette video that I watched or a podcast that were talking about the um, someone you know maybe using the like his gear back in the early nineties and loving the tone, but then all of a sudden just able to get their hands on the fifty one fifties that had just come out, and I think he was I think it was the Fryette one. I think it was Fright that was saying it, but he's like, yeah, look, the the artist just decided to go with the 5150s because you look at the price tag, it was something like yep. two and a half, three grand for the Fright and like $900 for the 5150. It just was made way more sense for everybody. So there's certainly like a, an element of the parts in them are not quite at the same. The sound is awesome, but perhaps they're not as robust. Um, maybe, I don't know. Uh, like yeah, I mean, was, it's I a great, it's of a great example
1: of, you know, The thing that is uh, the best doesn't always become the thing that is the most widely used because of availability or just pure economics of it. You know, it's sort of um, look at classic Gibson guitars from the 50s and the reason they were used so widely in the late 60s and early 70s is because they were discontinued and they were cheaper than what you know. (laughs) You know what I mean is like, if yeah. you're, if, if you're Joe Walsh or Jimmy Page or someone like that, you kind of cotton on pretty quickly. They're like, oh yeah, they're the ones to look out for. Or, you know, you're Ingve when Marshall have bought out the master volume models and no one wants the non-master volume models, but you like the way they sound. So you buy them for peanuts and you end up becoming the dude with like 20 Marshall heads on stage. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, I've read interviews with him where he's like, yeah, when like basically the 2203s came out, no one wanted the, um, like the plexis. So I just, everyone I would see, I'd buy them cause they were so cheap. Like you couldn't give them away. Um, and that kind of became my sound. So there's that, that element. The 5150 to me is like the best modern example of that because yeah, you're in a metal band and you're touring everywhere. You want something that you can just easily get your sound on um, <laughs> and spend, you know, a third of the price from some kind of custom thing or even just spec it, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we're playing a bunch of festivals. Um, have 5150s as a backline amps. Um, every, every place that's providing amp higher and backline higher can go and buy a bunch of them and keep everyone happy. So yeah, I'd like to spec a,
0: um, a Plexi with a Jose mod and (laughs) like, yeah, cool. No worries. Um, yeah. I think, you know, like p- to piggyback on that idea, um, when was it 2017 when I, before I got my Fractal, cause I was, I really wanted my, I really wanted an AX8 cause you had one and it sounded awesome. But what r- stopped me was the fact that it was, you know, it was expensive, but the wait time on them was kind of hard. And yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, I could go to any music store in Perth and pick up a Helix You know. Yeah. So there was a period where I was like, you know what, I'm not even going to bother. I can the Helix unit is going to sound pretty much. I'll be able to do similar sort of stuff with it. And if it breaks, I'll toss in the bin and go buy another one. Or it's replaced. It's easily, easy enough to be replaced. Um, which obviously I went that route a lot later because I still end up getting the AX8 and I've used it a shitload. Um, but there is something to be said for that. Like, just give me the thing off the shelf and I'll percent. I mean,
1: that, I reckon that's one of the, I think, growing up for me, I used to be super neurotic about, you know, and this is a great example of like, I've done zero gigs, but I have all these things that I know I'm going to want when I gig yep. about, um, you know, like in, in Perth in winter, it gets cold enough where it's like a bit uncomfortable to play guitar sometimes. Mm-hmm. And being a teenager and being like, what am I going to do? when I'm doing gigs and it's cold, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna need some solution. You know, like I'm gonna build up all these complex routines around this. Uh, Cause I think I'd watched uh, Queen live at Wembley and Brian mm-hmm. May talks about the air being really cold and him having to tune his guitars all the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, that sounds so bad. Not even thinking that, hey, guess what? There's a whole, there's, there'd be dozens of techs running around on that stage and he'd have a guitar tech tuning his guitar. He's playing a stadium, he mm-hmm. can afford it. Um, So yeah, I I remember being really neurotic about stuff like that. And then just having this kind of thing of like, no, what you should do is you should be resilient and you should know how to just play any guitar on like the most generic amp. So what's everywhere? Oh, a DSL. Yeah, DSLs just do that. Like, you know, just figure out how to get, you know, rather than worry about having the 100% A plus tone at every gig, uh, which is never going to happen, just get used to having 70% of the ideal situation and just working with that. Just, just be minus it, bro.
0: Yeah. Like not bad advice. I think I wish I'd gone into gigging a lot more with that in mind uh, as well. Yeah. And um, I've always chased. um, I've always sort of chased something that I'm comfortable with and I'm still sort of working it out. I think what I've come to the conclusion of though, after all these years is I just, if I'm stuck I'll have lot like lots and lots of gain, and I'll roll the gain back on the guitar. <laughs> yeah. And if I can do that, yeah. it's fine. I mean, there's the. Um, I, I think you that's remember that's pretty this. good when I when I had my pedal board stolen out of my guitar out of my car like years ago, about 2015. Um, I just I literally had nothing. I had to do these gigs, but all I had was my at the time Laney uh, GH50 tube head, which is sounds really good. I actually, sold that to Chris, who um, asked a question about the um, Nuno amp. Um, so hopefully he still got it. Cause if he doesn't, I'd, I'd probably buy it back off him, but that I had that amp and I had my orange one by 12 cab with the V30s in it. Yep. And I was using my warm guitar quite a lot as well. That's right. And, um, I ended up doing like just a bunch of gigs where it was guitar directly into the head. No tuner. Like I just would tune with my phone before the, <laughs> for, before I played. What a lad. Yeah. And I just went and did the gig and it was fine. Like yep. the amp ended up not really being loud enough for a couple of the gigs I did. And it was like no sound guys. So you just deal with it. But um, with it. it was fine, man. And I, you know, you don't think about, I'm not really one to think about the tones that much as I'm pl- like when I'm actually in the process of trying to play guitar and I just need to like hear it and kind of have enough distortion and sustain to live with it. When I start complicating 100%. stuff with too much pedals, it gets really weird. Uh, that's aside from the stupid pedal board I have at the moment for the um, for the cover gigs. It's a different sort of it's a different sort of thing. But. Yeah, you know, you've you're you're
1: across all of that. Though I think for me it really helped as well having Ryan because you know that was the like B minus is good enough, just play the gig and don't be crap um, attitude was really helpful to be around because I mean, like he had uh, a, a valve state combo that he'd taken the valve state head part out of. So it was a two by 12. And he'd sit a DSL 50 on top of that. And when we started gigging, I had, you know, I had a rack and a bunch of stuff. And he was (laughs) like, Yeah, he did. Oi, oi, just do this. You know, like, just just use this. Trust me, it'll sound fine. Um, And kind of, you know, having somebody who's way more experienced to just be like, oi, shut up. You actually don't know anything. Like, I've done this before. Do this really, like, transformed my attitude about Yeah, about what it about doing gigs and you know, being precious about gear and you know, now Ryan doesn't uh,
0: care about gear at all, so much to the point he won't even bring a guitar lead to a gig.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Just hey, at least he brings a guitar though. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, let's let's go back. I mean, I'm I'm really sorry about this thing. It's been such a detour. Let's talk about the synergy module. So it's been more than a week since Troy and I have caught up, so
1: Anyway, the 5150, is, it's like the gold standard for high gain. For numerous reasons, this module sounds like a really good 5150 just straight up. And you know what? It's almost easier to use because you just have two rows of knobs and you can have both channels in the module as the lead or the crunch. Mm-hmm. And you just go and just, it sound it just... I saw Pete Thorne did the video where he compared the 6505 to the SLO module. Oh yeah. And I think the SLO and the Morgan modules are maybe the only modules I haven't tried. And I've been like, oh, I should get an SLO module. Hearing it side by side, I was like, whoa, I actually kind of dig the 6505. Mm-hmm. Like they're really, really similar, but the 6505 has that like angry fizz about it, yeah, which was I really like.
0: One of the Facebook groups that I'm in, I think it's the... Uh, Egnator mts synergy facebook group but there was a few people complaining about the 6505 because it's like oh what's the point it's the same preamp section as the soldano and the same as the Mesa boogie it's like that doesn't it's not quite true like yeah i guess it's they're kind of based on the same thing but the amps don't sound the same it's like they there's more to it than just that little part and i think the the whole module is supposed to really be what the amp is in total not just what the one preamp part is you really yeah just yeah of- you know
1: obviously they're trying to represent the sound of an amp and it's not just like yeah we just pulled the circuit of a 6505 yeah, preamp out it. and and rehouse it it's like it's not that easy you gotta I- make it work with the synergy system and everything else so yeah it's pretty um now look it's just I mean, <laughs> a lot of those modules almost kind of sound the same anyway. Like, you can get there really Man, quickly. I mean, it's the same as, like, anything. It's a different
0: vibe. When you've got, like, a modeler where it's, like, do you want a fucking uh, – a JCM 800 or do you want a Cameron or do you want I – I don't know, like, just pick a, a brown eye. Like, they all sound really awesome. It's just, like, a slightly different flavor of fucking distortion. Like, do you yeah. want – uh, do you want vanilla ice cream? Do you want fucking salted caramel ice cream? Do you want caramel ice cream? Who cares? Like it's not, or maybe, maybe that's the wrong, maybe we'll say chocolate or Belgian chocolate or choc chip ice cream or like, yeah, you know, it, it's just exactly, it, they're all going to be probably pretty good. But at the end of the day, it's still fucking chocolate ice cream. Um, it, yeah. Oh yeah. So exactly. But you know what, like all two things, let me ask you, cause I haven't tried the module yet. Um, firstly, cause I don't remember on the faceplate. Does it have the like a resonance and presence thing on it? Or is no. it just a, so it's gain and EQ? Yeah, and I volume don't, and then a switch. Hang on,
1: I don't have to lean over and take a look at the module, Troy. No, it is gain three band EQ, volume per channel, and then a two way switch to select between crunch and lead modes.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not at like a 5150 aficionado because, like, you know, the one I have at the moment is awesome, but the presence knob has snapped off it. So the presence <laughs> is always in whatever position it's, that is. Yeah. And it just so happens to sound really awesome. So I don't have, I don't feel like I'm uh, losing too much, but um, yeah, I mean, it's like the, if you can still dial in like that level of chunk with just the three band EQ, then that's awesome. And, you know, most of the, cause on the, on the SYN 2 that has, oh, that doesn't have presence, but it's just got the SAG control. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. But
1: then you have, you have modules that do have like a kind but of, the like a fry
0: well, the SYN 50's got a presence and resonance, or just the presence pres- and depth. T- yeah. Present depth, though. Okay. So you can sort yeah. of replicate it anyway. Which
1: which work really, really nicely. So on the found-
0: On the SYN 30, it's, it's only a presence. So you don't have the depth control, but like, you know, that's that's fine. Um, so yeah, you can basically get <laughs> most of the way there. Um, now, what was the other thing I was going to ask you? Do, 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 ask, it about, ask you about that. Okay. Because uh, PV have. Sort of refresh the sixty five oh five line in like the last few months. If I'm yeah, correct, yeah, they've got their sort
1: of like what is it, the
0: original ninety two or something. Yeah, so that's that's is that is that what it's called? Like the 6505 <laughs> 1992 or? Well, I know
1: Kyle Bull has a demo with it. Yeah, that's what I watched, and I was like, this sounds sick. Because uh, I know Kyle there's Bull? there's a sixty
0: five oh five two as well.
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's go back through. He's done a demo with the sixty five oh five module, which is cool. And I haven't watched that yet. we will check that out. The Head First Altar, which was also very, very cool. Ah, where is it? PV6505, 1992
0: original. That's what it's called. Right. So do, is there documentation to say whether or not this module is like any of these new products that's been forced into this? Not forced, but has <laughs> been like um, made available for Synergy, or is it like taking the 6505, um, you know, I, I haven't heard that discussed at all, but I'm kind of interested because I like I haven't seen any, I haven't gone deep enough to be like, oh, here's some comparison videos of a 55 of uh, 5150 original and 6505. So Yeah, John Brown's video, he basically has uh, an original
1: 5150 mm-hmm. um and it and the module with like a sin, can't remember sin one or a sin two, but he A Bs between them and it's yeah, it's pretty much spot on right there. So uh, let's see. The synergy engineering team spent over two years working with PB to perfectly capture the sixty-five oh five tone, feel, and response. There's no compromise. Collaboration resulted in an all tube preamp module that genuinely replicates and streamlines everything that makes the sixty-five oh five so popular. So yeah, they uh, they kind of don't really say too much about it.
0: I mean, to be fair, like the sixty-five oh five and the cool. yeah, the fifty-one fifty-two and the sixty-five oh five in theory are the same amp. Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of videos of people comparing all these things too. Um, the Matt Heafy one. That's the guy from Trivium, right? Matt Heafy? Yep. yep. He does one with, I think, like a uh, 5150, a 5152, 5153, and maybe like a 6505. I think that's what it is. Lines them all up. Or maybe it's two of the EBH versions. I can't remember. But right. um, there's like a tiny difference, but they don't sound that different from one another. The sixty, the 5153 has a slightly different character, I think. If you compare them all together, um, it's maybe a little more modern. Even though I don't really—that's kind of like the new warm. It's like saying something's warm. Uh, it something <laughs> yeah. sounds modern. But it's just funny as well that it's like you know we haven't even mentioned the like
1: this is Eddie Van Halen's signature amp, yeah. you know, <laughs> and like everything you read about Eddie Van Halen on the internet uh, is plexi, 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 plexi. You know, yeah. The uh, oh my god, Eddie. Goat, 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 Plexi, Plexi, Plexi. Uh, I mean, how long was he not playing his old Marshall for? Like, probably longer than he actually played it. It is one of those, like, Steve Moore, yeah. Steve more gigs with Deep Purple than Richie Blackmore, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's I've like, never thought about that before. That's funny. Like, so, who's the true, you know, but, you know, he didn't play on In Rock and Machine Head, so no one cares. Um, yeah, but neither of them played on Come Taste the Band,
0: which is yeah exactly tommy Bolan. yep one of my favorites. patron saint of the channel yep so i mean i looked at the 65.5 to, to get back on uh sorry my interest in this module because i obviously would love to hear it um i i don't know if i i need to go out and buy one immediately because i have the 5150 there however if i end up somehow being able to afford a bunch of sin this is my dream right is to have a bunch of sin twos and soldano module in there and uh, you know the bogner stuff and whatnot um it would be nice to to pull the 5150 out of the rack the head rack because it's in there the my rack of heads so I've got them the dual recto I've got the 5150 I've got the stiletto which the stiletto man my it's just so good like it's so underrated uh Splone Nitro and then the Marshall JMP so it's like those are the main five amps like heads that oh, I like
1: I, I was chatting to um so you know I've got all these boutique pedals here that Murray lent me so you know he's friends with Trev, who um, runs the gas station. Oh yeah, uh, and he was telling me about there's a pedal in there by um, like you know Kingsley. They do all the preamp oh, yeah, pedal yeah. kind of things. So there's a I forget I think it might be the page in there. I need to do a demo with it. It's pretty cool. He was kind of saying how um, Trev really likes it in like the effects loop of his gigging
0: amp, which is a Stiletto. Well, there you go. It's people in the know, mate. I need to I need to do a gig with it. I've ne- I've only used it for sessions and it it like it happened weeks ago. I think I mentioned it. Like it beat the JMP, like the OG. It has a thing that is just, it's kind of, I don't know. It's versatile. It's really good. Anyway, uh, my point was like, if I could pull the 5150 out, so I could put another nice amp in there. um, Maybe that's, that would be awesome. Um, And then I get, again, I've just got my rack of high gain shit with the, the, the um, Synergy stuff. So that that's something to work towards when I get a little bit of time. But
1: yeah, well, I'll bring this module around um, asap, and you can try it with your rig. I'd be really curious to know how it goes, like side by side with the with the real thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I so, said, man, I'm I'm really keen to hear it. Um, I'm really keen to hear all the synergy stuff. Like I'm I'm fully uh, drinking of the Kool Aid, shall we say? Yeah, exactly. No, it is. It it was just, I
1: what I found consistently with their stuff um, that. Well, I should say, what I've found is that the things that I like in the system, I really, really like. Um, and the stuff that I haven't, like, I didn't love the BE and HBE modules, mm-hmm. like which really surprised me. I thought they would be the ones I'd be all about. Um, and then I played a real BE and I was like, this is cool. But it's like, Exactly the same reason I didn't like the, say, HBE module as much as I like the Ubershaw module. It's just the thing that the BE does where it's a little bit smoother and a little bit more like polite. And um, they sound great, but it's, you know, there's this kind of scuzz and like nasty thing that I think I chase sometimes. Yeah. Which the modules I like, like the Uber module, the 6505, They, they're my two favorite high gain ones. Um, And the 2CP, which is a totally different thing. The 2CP sounds like my Mark IV. Um, Very, you know, like much more like kind of controlled tight thing. They're definitely probably my three favorite high gain modules. And then like the 800 module sounds amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so another segue, I (laughs) pulled a bunch of Marshalls out the other day because I've got Ryan's DSL 50 here yep. and you know I've got two DSL 100s and I wanted to see which I remember one of the DSL 100 sounded a bit better than the other one. right? And I just wanted to like mark which one it was so that I remember. Um, and the one that I thought I remembered sounded the best was the one uh, I've got like a sticker on it somewhere. Um, and, you know, they sounded so similar, literally at the same settings, one sounded a bit thinner. So I was like, cool, that's the one I don't like. Uh, but I pulled out like the Marshall 2210, mm-hmm. uh, and then, yeah, it was okay, you know, but then like just the sin 800 module was like that's the sound that I want when I think <laughs> of an 800, a 100% like, yeah. I've been using that module a lot for like pedal demos cause you can set it pretty clean and it's a decent enough clean sound. But, um, like I did a video with the Hudson broadcast, which is, you know, like a Neve channel strip in a box. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet.
0: I'm really keen to check that out.
1: That into like the really clean 800 was a massive vibe. Like I really, really liked that. Not necessarily for, I guess, like I wouldn't track like a ragdoll song with it, but if you were doing, if you were just doing like rock and roll, mm-hmm. um, that was such a cool thing. So yeah, you know, it's like, I really, really like that module. The TDLX, I really, really like. Um, there was a, <laughs> you know, the angle Powerball's really good. Pretty much everything's really good. And then I think some of the modules for me cross over into that. Like, like the Uber module is great. That's one of my favorite high gain things in the universe. It's just, it just makes me happy.
0: It made me laugh. I was scrolling through Gumtree a couple of nights ago and I was just like, oh, someone's listed a Synergy module for sale. <laughs> Who could that be? <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I saw what it was. And it was the like, Ecstasy. Oh, who's selling Ecstasy? Maybe I could get a second one. <laughs> That's
1: really funny. So, <laughs> oh yeah, guilty is charged. Um, but yeah, that's like purely to enable. I think I want to try an SLO module still. So, yep. there's something wrong with me. Uh, there's something wrong with all of us, isn't there? That's why we're all here.
0: Yeah. Could just quickly, yeah, you're um twenty two ten. I I've never really re- liked that in any context hey, when we try it. get this.
1: Get this, man. Uh, I was playing and I was like, this is weird. I can hear this kind of like clean thing underneath. Like the sounds I'm playing on the distorted channel on it. I'm like, I'm gonna turn the volume on the clean channel all the way down. Oh, that sounds different. And you turn it up, there's like horrible channel bleed between it. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. And um I actually at the Melbourne guitar show I was chatting to Jason Tong and I feel like he mentioned something about this. Like, yeah, you know, it's a very particular switching design. Um and then yeah, you go online and read about it. And channel bleed is this thing with those amps. So yeah, that was pretty funny. Turning the clean channel off so it didn't bleed into it. I still didn't love it. It kind of had a sound which was pretty recognisable. Um, <laughs> if if I was going to do an accept tribute band, I would use <laughs> that amp and like a and that Dean V. Like that would be the sound because it's kind of got that. I don't know. There's just like a, a very like early to mid '80s like hard rock this kind of like it's it's nowhere near as nasty and bitey sounding as I expected 2203 to sound it's quite right. smooth and like more behaved how um, do you
0: find it compares to
1: the 900 pretty uh, well because I've got a 900 mark three oh, uh, yeah, yeah it, it was actually funny I was watching um so there's the guitar hour podcast so it's Tom Quayle David Beebe uh, a few other guys, Jake Wilson, Dan, I always forget Dan's last name, but, um, and they were talking about, cause Marshall's just been bought by some non-British company, right. Sounds or something. And they were talking about that. And they kind of brought up the point that they're in, um, you know, they're in the UK. They were like, yeah, you know, the nice thing about Marshall's and living in the UK is you can get a silver Jubilee for like a thousand pounds. Yeah, right. Um, which you can't anywhere like, you, you know, import duties and everything else. It's like, so you want to get like a loud amp that you can gig with. Um, you, it's just there. And then they were talking about, you know, which mark, what was your first Marshall? And they talked about the ABTs and the valve mm-hmm. states. And, you know, it was, it was really, really good. And then they were talking about like the Johnson Millenniums and the Digitex. Oh, I remember those I'll, ones. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the episode. I think you'll really, really like it. But um, it, it they sort of mentioned the early valve states and um, Tom sort of says is like, what you guys have to realize is that like, if you play extreme metal, there's people who like worship these amps, they're really desirable, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of, like the Swedish chainsaw sound revolves around HM2 into solid state Marshall. Um Chuck Scholdiner used the early valve states in death. Um, and they were like, nah no, nah, no, nah, sure, Surely, surely you just mean like it's one of these things, like, oh, isn't it funny that we're using this crap thing? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, like people legitimately love these amps. And then they mentioned the nine hundreds, and it's like, yeah, people kind of crap all over the nine hundreds. Um, and should they? I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like the nine hundred is just the default backline amp in the world.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's there was a lot probably of people. Probably not, not desirable. Anymore. So
1: yeah. Um, um yeah, easy to come by. Yeah, so I've got a Mark III, which isn't a very typical. I I, I really dig the design on that, um, where it's it's so it's a single channel with two master volumes. Um, and Wait, so is was that some still
0: that's a high gain dual reverb still? No, no reverb. Okay.
1: All right, JCN nine hundred Mark III. It's it's a single channel amp with two master volumes. Okay. very simple. It's it sounds pretty similar to the twenty two ten in my opinion. Like okay. it's got. But you have split gain controls like the Jewel Reverb, like preamp and yep. whatever the other one's called. Um, but I did a video with that years ago and this anonymous person left a bunch of comments saying, yeah, I was working at Marshall at the time. We kind of designed that and, you know, take this with a pinch of salt, but it was sort of like, yeah, we initially started that amp um, designing it around like Michael Schenker's guitar sound because Michael oh, okay. was using the 50 watt 800s and, you know, like just kind of, spicing them up with like a, a cocked wire in front of them oh, right, <laughs> um, okay. so it was yeah and then it like you know because you have to build an app to scale and manufacture it things got changed and it ended up sounding different and all that kind of thing so uh, take that with a pinch of salt I have no idea um, if this was an actual person or just someone you know reiterating <laughs> things they'd read on the internet and claiming to be someone else but I, that that's believable
0: yeah look they have a sound I don't love it but I don't hate it it's I don't, I don't look. I don't know how identifiable it is to to compare yeah. it to like a Saldana or a fifty one fifty or whatever. But to me, the JCM nine hundred, it's like a punk rock app.
1: That's Yeah, like, when I, I think I'd of a JCM nine hundred, I think of like Green Day um, for some reason. And like
0: I don't know if they use them, but I, I feel, feel like, like they did. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a couple of videos of them with the 900s like because it just has that. It's like pretty nasty sounding. Yeah, um, my we have one of those at uh, TAFE actually, and um, I've credit to my students like they recorded a kind of deftones sounding song with that's one of the cool. other students um and that's the sort of the only high gain there's that a Laney gh 100 as well but i think the laney sounds a bit funky to me um but yeah the um the 900 like they pulled a really good tone with it like surprisingly good tone yeah so it's it can be done um i feel like the louder it is the better it sounds, personally. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the, that was a problem with mine. One, uh, one of the reasons I didn't like it is I never was able to run it hot enough to give it that sort of character. And all Marshalls are sort of like that, or at least, maybe not D-cells, but the pre-DSL ones, like, you just... If you're trying to play in your bedroom and you don't want to wake mum and dad, then it's kind of... kind of sucks to use them. Yeah, um, This is... yeah Pre-having, a atten- like, decent-sounding attenuators or, you know, them being affordable. Hey, do you remember... Um, going to cash converters in Oswald Park, like 15 years ago. I remember they had like a Marshall power break sitting there and you were I so, do. you were so excited to see one. This is like 2007. Yeah,
1: Cause I'd only read about them. And I remember, uh, who's not just Dan Hawkins from the darkness mm-hmm. seeing photos of his rigs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they came out and, um, they, you know, he was using plexis, but he had a bunch of power brakes so mm-hmm. that he could actually run them at reasonable volumes. Oh man, that is a throat. That isn't. An, and they were gigantic those yeah, they're things.
0: Yeah, big. They are, okay. are they resistive loads as well. They're not like the um the, what's the is it the crate thing? Uh the hot plate. Yeah, I, I see I feel like with the
1: power brake cuz you're meant to run it into a cabinet that it probably you still get the impedance from the cab. Um that's the way a lot of those things work where the, even if it's a resistive load. Don't quote me on this. I know if I take the fractal load box mm-hmm. and I use the speaker through on it the impedance changes to the impedance of the actual cabinet. And I've done that and like unplugged the cab and heard the the character of the amp change. So maybe even if it's a resistive load, but you've got a cabinet connected, it's kind of fine.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, anyway, that, that just came to, to mind because, yeah. Um, anyway, that, that was my <laughs> reference for them. The what was them I going to say? Yeah. Had, um, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. One more. This third time, shout out. Um, the there was a Fright video that came out the other day that I watched with um Variax. Maybe it's a few oh, weeks Oh, yeah, wow, really, really interesting. Um, Variax versus like you know, taking an old Marshall and why you can use Variax in some amps and not others. And um, yeah, he also was like, and here's uh, the amp stock, here's the amp with a Variax in it, here is the amp with um, a power station. And so, yeah, right, like it's not just a advertisement for a power station because there's a lot more to it than that but it was really interesting you should check it out i think you'd like it yeah yeah i'll have to do um, that I'm, d- I'm gonna stop mentioning Fryett like it's the third time in this podcast <laughs> i've already like given him a shout out so
1: i mean the goal is to just get steven Fryett on here because <clears throat> uh, there's probably you probably couldn't find anybody who actually knows something about amps that steve doesn't that's my impression he's not like... that he's like not that he'd be like yeah i know everything he just seems like a guy's like ah, oh, yeah I remember that thing in 1978, doing this and that guy, you know, he's like, yeah, he's just it's just like an overflowing fountain of cool amp stuff, you yep. know?
0: Yeah, it'll happen. Um anyway, should we segue not so subtly onto the next topic? I think we've given that enough air, haven't we?
1: I think we've absolutely thrashed that. Uh, um, and to everybody who's still still tuning in, you know, we appreciate you. And to everybody who's followed the Instagram page and yeah everything else um you know feel free to message us suggestions for topics but um so we wanted to talk about the nam show because i spoke about in my q a yesterday on my channel and uh it was interesting obviously it's coming up but like a bunch of other convention stuff is coming up and i mentioned in my video i've just watched something about e3 Mm -hmm. and the kind of parallels between e3 and nam are quite pronounced on there so I haven't been to the Nam Show though, and you have. So I wanted you to just like talk about what it was like and how you enjoyed it.
0: Oh, and yeah, it was fun, man. I mean, I th- I think I've mentioned it before to you, and maybe I've even said it on the pod. Like it was, it was fun. Glad I went and did it. Probably don't need to do it again in a hurry, if I'm being honest. Um, mostly because I'm not so outgoing as to go and make a bunch of friends and, um, shake hands and kiss babies and whatnot or kiss bet ba- what was, what's the term? Shake Ki- babies and kiss hands. That's the one, right? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it, it was cool, but, um, there's not too much to say. Like, it's a bit of a rite of passage. That's what it feels like
1: for our generation. Cause we used to read about it so much.
0: That's the thing. It's like, if you grew up, uh, so far away from that part of the world, like we did and you're reading lots of guitar magazines and it's just awesome. Like it's good to tick that off the box, even though everyone that's there that's been going for more than probably like two NAMS fucking hates it. Like no one really wanted to be there, but they all kind of just, there was like, you know, there was so many fucking poses wandering around, man, like dudes in, uh, in makeup, like eighties rock makeup, which is just like, this is unnecessary. Like, who do you think you're here to impress? Like, there's no one's like, cause your whole band rocks up in, uh, I don't know, dressed. I can't like something like outcast from an Alice Cooper video or something like that. Doesn't mean I like mean, all of a it sudden. It is
1: LA. It is in like, well, what is it? Anaheim. It's close enough to LA. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, I, what, it's California.
0: I thought that part know, of it was really kind of funny. Land. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was, it was cool, man. Like, cause I, uh, obviously had some friends that knew people. So I, I was at least, I got to stand in a circle with Phil X and that was really just kind of funny to be like, why am I here? You know, it's, yeah. but that's also that LA thing where I think, um, you know, you just kind of happen to, to know someone that knows someone and then all of a sudden you, you know, I was with our friend Umi and he's like, oh, Hey man, you got to come re- meet Reinhold Bogner. I was like, okay. So I shook hands with Reinhold Bogner, who did not give two fucks about me. Like, but it was just, that just happened. You know, I saw yep, Devin Townsend actually. And I was like, Hey oh, Devin, right. how you going? He's like, Hey man, how are you? And he walked off and it's like, well, oh, that's nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, you know, being, being two little boys from Perth, the proximity to, uh, absolute excellence in your field is something that, you kind of, I feel like some Americans maybe take for granted if you live in LA or New York, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so and we know this guy and they did this. But for us, it's still like,
0: what? You, huh? Oh, mate, really? Kevin Parker from Tame Impala was at the Dockers game the other day, so I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there you go. I mean,
1: hey, to be fair, if you actually look at people the world cares about, you know, Far more, far <laughs> more influential than any of the people we've talked about at any point on this show. That's you a know. shame.
0: More people should care about George Lynch,
1: but I believe so as well. That is that is a universal truth. But I always um, warm
0: up that gig with um, Wicked Sensation. So there perfect.
1: You go. There you go, George. So the anyway, love you.
0: Yeah, that was my um, that was my Nam experience. But um, yeah, so I said I didn't actually watch your video, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit with you because. Um, Firstly, there's there's a few things. One nice thing about Nam is I'm looking forward to the couple of days when a bunch of new pr- products are announced. That's a little bit like Christmas for me. So, yeah. And- if nothing else, to know that there's like a time of year when it's like, oh boy, what's going to happen? What's, what's coming out? That's exciting. Like, I'll, I'll send you this video that I watched. So it's my YouTube channel called
1: Arlo, and Arlo does like Nintendo videos. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a man our age, but instead of showing his face, it's a blue puppet. Um, As you do. So imagine it's got this like Sesame Street pop culture uh, kind of crossover thing. And uh, yeah, you know, they they kind of, all the points they make about E3 where they're like, yeah, E3 to me was like, it was the one time in the year you looked forward to hearing about all the cool new stuff that you were going to get excited about Mm -hmm. over the next year. And that's Nan, you know, it's like, I just remember, you know, grabbing Guitarist magazine or whatever it was where they would have all the, you know they'd be at the NAM show and it would be the report and it'd be like 40 pages of all the stuff and you would look at it and be like, oh, this is the new PRS thing and there's a new Gibson thing and Marshall have this and PV are doing this. So you kind of got all these like announcements or it was, it was just the couple of days in the year where all the new stuff got launched and announced, which obviously doesn't happen any now. We're living in this constant stream of, yep. you know, every couple of weeks, a new product drops and all the big YouTube channels have a video about it. You know, that's just how stuff works. It's not everything all at once as Christmas, it's Christmas, you know, that's, that's gone. It's now like, uh, well, I can look forward to like a few cool beers after work every couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, there's, look, I think I haven't thought about this too much to make a very uh, profound discussion. I'll just preface it with that, but we're in this really interesting transition period for uh, the technology of music industry with all the AI, oh, yeah. AS, AI stuff. And I mean, I'm really interested. M- it may not happen this year, but the next two years, three years, four years, stuff with plugins, stuff with software, how that's going to impact everything that we use in our, uh, musical aspirations. Um, I feel like there's going to be some big stuff that happens. Um, a couple of little tasters that might happen this year. We might see whether, what direction things are going in. Um, so it'll be something to keep an eye out for is like, you know, whenever the Nam time is, you know, and t- again, in terms of this like um, showcase thing, like wh- however that happens, like it doesn't have to be in person. It can just be an online, uh, a website. Here's whatever everything's been showing. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, exci- I think well, it's exciting in that respect.
1: I think as well, the difference, uh, and I didn't really talk about this in in my video, but it's worth worth mentioning is the difference is with E3 um, I think it was, like, this year, like, Nintendo and, like, the proper big dogs have basically gone, nah. But they're sort of, like, they have such a, I guess the equivalent for the music industry would be, like, Yamaha. Uh, yeah. If Yamaha went, no, nah, we're not doing NAM, that would be a really, really big thing. But, you know, Yamaha still do it and Lion 6 still, you know, as part of Yamaha, they, you know, they still wait to announce all their new hardware things Around then, so you still have like, oh, maybe in the music industry, it's there's just more big players than there are in yeah, video right. games. Um, so you can afford for Gibson not to come, and you can afford for certain other companies not to come to Nam, and you still got plenty of other big ones that are launching stuff. And I guess the other thing as well is if you think about, you know, for us primarily primarily being guitar players excited about guitar gear. it's it's We're talking about like everything uh, launching. This is a live sound, uh, other instruments, um, you know, drums, keyboards, music production stuff, studio stuff, um, you know, everything. Everything, that entire... It's not just like, oh, Nam is about like guitar stuff being announced. That's a small part of it. Um, whereas if you look at E3, it's about the video games. It's not so much about like... That hardware the isn't. graphics, the graphics card, you know, they don't get launched at E3 or something like that. You might get a new console or something, but you know, there's there's it it's different in that regard, I think is worth noting. Sure. Someone made a great thing as well where they, they sort of mentioned it's like, yeah, but it's a bunch of like-minded people all getting together at the same place. And I was like, Yeah, there's there is something to be said about, you know, just loads of people converging on the same space for a couple of days. It's all a big party everybody kind of goes through the same experience. And someone made the, uh, they said kind of like summer nets. <laughs> which, which for guitar players That's, is yeah. guitar players in a showroom. It's if you go and play guitar in public, it's
0: the equivalent of doing a burnout. Yep. Pretty much. But you know, you I, know I was going to say, sorry to cut you off there, man, these things like, I remember not that long, a few uh, months ago, listening to one of these Friedman podcasts where he talks about how much it costs to put up a, like, Massive. It was dollars. something like sixty grand for them to run a booth at NAM for the size that they needed. Like And that's
1: tiny as well, you
0: know? Yeah, it was it was big, like it was relatively big, but yeah, all things considered, like fucking hell, sixty grand, that's a lot of amps that you gotta to sell to recoup that money, let alone the time of the people involved to go and like man it. Like your Yamahas and stuff, it's kinda I guess it's all right. Like they, they probably have money just coming out of every hole, um to to cover that. But you know, smaller smaller brands like yeah, it would be it would be very, very very pricey. Um and yeah, when it's as you say, like when Fractal has never done NAM, is that correct? Yeah, but
1: why would they? Yeah, you know, like they sell direct.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean it's just that I've seen a few people talk about that that model of going through shops or going direct and all these sort of things and how that's all transitioning out now as well. It's sort of the the purpose yeah. of it being a trade show, like not for public but for other um you know, sellers and stuff. Well, what's the fucking point? If it's, you just got to get a newsletter blast, you know, when a new product gets announced anyway, like it it doesn't seem to matter too much, does it? But yeah,
1: I mean, again, I think it depends on the scale of the business. If you're essentially, if you make (laughs) like, uh, actually I I saw a pretty cool video during the week. It was um, uh, in New Zealand, they had a, I think it's kind of like a, museum exhibition about just kind of music. Um mm-hmm. and they there was a little feature on Paul Crowther, Crowther Audio, The Hot Cake. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a couple of minutes long and I'd never seen anything with Paul Crowther. And it's just him talking about, yeah, I was in split ends and I made this pedal and you know, we used it. And then I was like, you know, teching for a band who was opening for the violent Femmes and the distortion pedal they were using sucks so like the guitar player just walked out and put a hot cake in and they loved it so lots of people like hot cake and pretty much everyone in new zealand had one at one point and um you know like paul's just making pedals in his house him and his wife just do literally do everything on them it's like a little cottage industry mm-hmm. you know you don't need to go to a trade show to do that yeah the, the beauty of the hot cake is that it's like a word of mouth thing um there's this scale where you know how much how much turnover do you need to be generating and how much product do you need to be selling to justify going to a trade show there'd be like a pretty you know there'd be a if it, hey if it's sixty thousand dollars for Friedman to to do a booth um and if like yeah it's you got to be making what like five six times that to sort of be able to justify it minimum.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I wonder what it what it costs to be at the Melbourne guitar show if we should <laughs> find
1: that out. Yeah, but. actually I could I could find that out. Um and I mean, like a, a good example there is um Charles Celia has a booth there, but it's like Jason <laughs> had his amps mm-hmm. with Charles, and you know, Charles has um his own guitars and does Strandberg and there was like a lot of stuff happening, but then you had Gibson and Boss and you know, Line 6 and these kind of things where they each had their own kind of spaces. That as well was a lot of, <clears throat> I think the other underrated thing is the distributors as well. That's kind of what you get at a trade show in Australia. Um, not necessarily the brands where like, right, you know, you an American-based brand, <laughs> uh, or like again, independent Yamaha. independent
0: music and all the stuff that they're putting. They're putting yeah, out, yeah, yeah.
1: I'll yeah. use Yamaha as the example, because Yamaha would have Yamaha America. Yeah, as well you know um they're on a scale where they can justify having essentially a separate business under the same umbrella so yeah uh the economics of it would be fascinating and you know terrifying <laughs> when you're talking about you know it's costing more than an employee's entire yearly wage probably to to run a booth
0: Yeah. with all that being said um what's some stuff that's coming out that you've been like uh, kind of Looking out for or anything that you've got your eye for, on. So this is Nam Show. Um, I, I'm always curious to
1: see what the new Line Six thing is. They always seem to come out with cool. Oh yeah. You know, uh, they seem to tie, What was it last year? Like the HX Stump XL. And I think the Pod, so. Yeah. Pod Go before that, and you know, they'll probably have some some new hardware. The XXL. Be, yeah. Just thirty-two buttons, eight <laughs> blocks.
0: The Pod Go Ultra, maybe. <laughs>
1: Podgo Turbo, TurboCharge, um XL. Uh, yeah, I um obviously something like, you know, yeah, you can see like the synergy, the 6505, like that was kind of their NAM show-ish. It also, it's interesting that like Nam time is a proxy for announcing a big thing as well, even if you're not there. Hmm. You just kind of announce your product around there and you you cash in on the on the hype. Um yeah. Mostly probably it'll be interesting to see on the plug-in front, what a couple of companies do, uh, as you were saying, because the AI machine learning things exploding at the moment. Um, uh, actually, there was a really good video that I saw yesterday. So Leo Gibson, I don't know if you're familiar with Leo. Uh,
0: um, no. Is this a real person? It's a real person. It's a great <laughs> name.
1: Um, uh, and I forget where Leo's based in Europe. I want to say Italy, but Apologies to Leo if you're listening to this and I got it wrong. Um, but yeah, like, kind of, I don't even know what the equivalent would be like. I think Leo's one of the few people doing stuff with like proper data where it's like, hey, I I did basically what he did was he got a Kemper, a quad cortex, Tonex, and then neural amp modeler. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the thing that I thought was really interesting about that is like, yeah, we'll do a null test and calculate the error oh, yeah, cool. signal. Cool. Yep. So, reamped the same reamp thing through the same amp twice and mm-hmm. got a non-zero null on it. Um, oh, right. Yeah, so that, is, hey, which to me immediately makes sense where it's like you're feeding AC into this thing um, as a starting point. So maybe phase is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's this baseline variation in an amp with itself, which was the coolest thing in there. That to me was like, This is amazing that they've done this. So, yeah, he kind of says. It's
0: amazing that's never come up until I've never heard that until just then. That's really funny. Yeah,
1: like so simple as well. Does it null with itself? Mm, Well, not necessarily, but he's basically like, okay, cool. Here's what the error signal is. And it's something that's crazy low, but it's not zero. Mm -hmm. So, he uses that as like the theoretical limit that you can approach with accuracy and then, you know, gets all these. And it's. The numbers like negative fifty something, and I think the Kemper's like negative thirty-ish. Quad Cortex is a little bit better. ToneX is around like the minus forty, and the Neural amp model is a little closer. But then he's like, I'm going to train this <laughs> uh, Neural Ant model of profile for like, you know, uh twenty-four hours or something, like ten thousand epochs or something, like crazy amount. And yeah, it gets it gets better, but. Probably not something you'd be able to hear. So it's like, it's got the lowest error signal. But then he's like, yeah, it actually, the more you do on this, it actually hits a physical limit, which mm-hmm. is not the same as the theoretical limit, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but then he's like, this is for the settings on one amp. If you had five knobs on the amp and you wanted to do all of them, then yeah, he comes up with this insanely large number <laughs> where right. it's like, yeah, if you wanted to use this to capture the complete behavior of an amp, Uh, you know, it's too much time. This is why you might just want to have a hybrid approach and brilliant video. Like Leo's really, really awesome and a very, very good guitar player as well. Um, But yeah, actually seeing some data with it. So that was super interesting. Um, And he makes some, it's probably the best video that I've seen about all this kind of, you know, AI assisted guitar profiling stuff to date. So that was, it'd be interesting to see that in, I, I still think that with, the whole AI thing, the interesting thing isn't going to be capturing apps or anything. It's going to be the like isotope style. Hey, I want to sound like Eddie Van Halen from like, write me a patch in my Axe FX that sounds like Eruption. Right. Here's, here's the reference signal. Mm-hmm. Put all the blocks, you know, like put all the blocks in for me, tweak them for me. I'll fit like that to me, I think will be the really fun thing when we get there with AI stuff or mix my song for me to sound like Joe Barisi.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's already getting there. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm sort of like, I'm not that positive about the future of my specific industry in so many ways. Um, so uh yeah maybe I, w- I won't speak too much There's, okay so to answer my own question what am i ex- excited about coming out at NAM? because i can tie this around to that um i'm really curious because i think soundflow has a new update coming out which they they tease yeah, right, that interesting. they've been really quiet for like months and months <laughs> they usually have a an update like every like the start of every year and yeah it's, it's
1: like who's been quiet and that's so you know he's gonna has got something
0: yeah <clears throat> so okay here's the thing with soundflow right is I mentioned this before. I've got a button on my Stream Deck where, if I press it, it sends whatever tracks I have highlighted to a specified like folder, uh, like Pro Tools folder, um, track folder, routing folder, routing folder. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, color codes everything. Um, I, I've got that set up for every style of track, if it's drums and bass and guitars and whatever uh, for a session. Like, so you my create your session. own like
1: macros for a session.
0: Exactly. So to give you an example, I did that on an album about maybe nine months ago ish and it saved me probably six hours of work. (laughs) So it's not AI, but it's still like a, um, a time saving software feature. Let's just call it that. Right. Um, now with what happened with Avid a couple of months ago, I think it was like one of the previous updates, they opened up the, the system developer, I think it's called the system developers so- software or that side of, um, of the Pro Tools software, which had previously previously been very tight and confined. And unless you were like a specified developer, you couldn't do shit. Um, and it's been, yeah, so just generally opened up a lot more. So one of the big problems with like, say Soundflow or other things trying to create macros is like, they don't have access to certain elements of the software to really be that efficient working on it. You're sort of still working on top of the software like someone physically clicking (coughs) buttons and stuff. So, with I'm really curious with the new SoundFlow how they can integrate their product and their software more into Pro Tools because that's going to be really interesting. Because what it will mean for me is that it will hypothetically save me a lot more time when it comes to working. Hypothetically I, I, I don't know what these things could be in physical terms or practical terms I mean. So that's really interesting. But to get back to the fact that I saved myself six hours of time to, um, you know, do all this routing in theory, I could have probably paid a student of mine, a certain amount of money to come and do all that work for me. Yeah. You know, maybe they'll do it in three, four, five, six hours, whatever. But that's someone that hypothetically is like lost out on a bit of work. Like all that grunt work is just disappearing. Yeah. Yeah. And all that, uh, and possibly that's something that, a student of mine or someone else, they could benefit from having like this introduction of how a session gets put together or this, that, and the other. Like, cause I certainly did that stuff when I was um, coming up like a long time ago. So it's funny because like the the point at which you get to like being able to really work in that industry, like to mix a song and edit a song and, and doing routing, lots sort of stuff. And then someone that's literally just starting out, like the middle ground is completely disappearing. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like I'm really excited for it on the one hand, cause it's going to save me a shitload of time and energy R- kind of disappointed on the other hand to know that, um, the education for younger people is going to change. Um, and I, I don't have a specific thing I can, um, correlate it with. Um, but I mean, it's just like- think about how, like, you know, when chat GPT was
1: breaking, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> it coincided with the start of the school year here and the absolute, hoo-ha that erupted with like will schools allow chat GPT and like all the stuff that universities have had to do you know to like detect when something's it's like there was this kind of almost moral panic around it and now it's just oh yeah chat GPT yeah I, I wanted to do something and you know it's and then now there's GPT4 which you sort of pay for there's like the the way these things can kind of get normalized really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, the speed of disruption grows, but also the speed of like, oh, well, okay, cool. We'll work around this. Um, the I think the traditional pathways will be disrupted, but there'll probably be a kind of a similar thing to like music streaming where it's like when Spotify and stuff first really came out, you know, we were still printing CDs and selling them, mm-hmm. but it's taken like a few years for the big dent in sales to really happen where it's like, yeah, we don't sell nearly as many CDs online. We still sell them at shows though. Um, mm-hmm. That's still happening, but we sell more, so way more downloads,
0: um, you know, so it's, that's good. I can't think of the last project I did that got done to CD. I mean, it's yeah. I oh, actually it's, know I can, it's, but it's <laughs> a different uh, sort of project. So, it's um it disappears i mean like you know talking about the the, the stuff the ai and all sort of stuff it's it's a shame like there's an entire middle ground that's going to disappear and there's going to be something that that entire area of my industry and other industries will like the knowledge will be lost over time because yeah. it will be done by computers which yep. could be partly like a non-issue um maybe it doesn't really matter um it, it, it might be good for me because i still do understand it that I can benefit off that as a teacher um, or as I, I have certain skills that will be required for a little while longer, but you know, it's, it's a little bit, it's intimidating. It's, I'm not like, you know, it's not keeping me up at night thinking about this stuff, but it's certainly the, the way the industry is changing is coming very, very quickly. I mean, you talk about the guitar sounds, like all the stuff that I'm doing with amps and mics and shit who gives a shit? Like, as you say, if yeah. you can just write a patch in your axe effects to give you that sound, like why does it actually matter? I mean, it matters to me mostly out of general interest, perhaps more than uh like practical use, even. Um so I guess you separate it then. Like, is that a hobby thing for me? And it's not so much a work thing for me. <laughs> it could, yeah could be thought of like the, that.
1: The, I mean, the other thing that I, I find pretty interesting as well is, you know, <clears throat> I've had multiple people write to me and say, hey, Leon, I used your free IR for an entire album that my band made and it really worked well. And I, I liked it and I use it in my fractal or helix or quad cortex as the main sound I, I do live. That's just like solved a problem for me. Um And, you know, that's something that I like, <laughs> I consciously wanted to make available to people. So is it like, is it that it's good or is it that it's free? Or is it that it's like, <laughs> You know, the fact that it's, like, a 70% on the good scale and a 100% on the free scale maybe outweigh the fact that you could get something that's, like, 100%, but you got to pay $3 for. Um,
0: Yeah, but, I mean, geez, like, there's so many of those things. It doesn't, like, who cares almost? Like, Like, you know, Justin
1: York's still selling IRs, even though, like, clearly I've got an IR that is free that works in a commercial setting that has actually been – One fun fact I learned was that it's actually on, you know, the like Taylor Swift re recording her back catalog. Uh, Some of the sounds on there, like, use some of my caps. That's very, very funny. Isn't that hilarious? You're a part of history. Literally, the current most successful commercial artist. Mm -hmm. um, There's aspects of it, which I guess you could say are open source. You know, you get get Leon's free IR. Cool. Um, I. Yeah, that that's really really cool. Uh, do I feel like I've missed out on something by making it available? No, because I use it. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's I fixed the problem for me um, having having it available for people to check out. Cool, that's awesome. That's I don't know. I just feel like I'm kind of paying it forward because I have benefited immensely from this technology
0: Yeah, um, I, look, in my own life. I'm not saying that's a bad thing whatsoever. Like that, no, 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 I definitely. think that's, I think that's completely fair. I, I think it's just, um, I, look, I don't even know what I think anymore. Uh, I'll be honest. I think, I think I probably need another coffee soon. That's probably yeah. where I'm at. And, um, and that's been, probably the best segue
1: to say it is time to to wrap this up. Um,
0: I tell you what, I've been thinking about this pod for like a week. I just wanted to. I, I really missed doing it last week because it's really fun to talk about nerd shit for and reminisce as well for an hour, yeah, hour and a exactly. half exactly. So and,
1: yeah, and I've had quite a few people write to me and say they <clears throat> they've been enjoying this while they do their gardening or washing the dishes and things like that. It's exactly how I enjoy podcasts, so yep. that means a lot. Uh, uh, it, uh, means, it means a lot to me to hear that.
0: Yeah. I was listening to Behind the Bastards about the Liver King as I was um, doing that speaker in that cabinet before, so um, you know I should check that one out. Yeah, there's some good ones. Uh, he said he's um, he's got one lined up on Vince McMahon, or he started to research it. Oh, really? That's gonna be wow. That's gonna be interesting. But um, yeah, well, as I said, it's been always a pleasure to talk to you, Uncle Leon. Um, Likewise, and, man. And we'll be back next week with probably no interruptions in the near future. I don't think I'm going away anytime soon. So. We can make it all happen. And uh, yeah. Hey, check us out on Instagram. Just do that. Instagram. Have a nice
1: time with your life. Play some guitar. Make some noise. Tell us about it. Message us and we'll include it on the show.
0: And you know what, Leon? Next episode, not this one, next episode, putting a theme song at the start.
1: Okay. It's happening.
0: Yep. It's happening. It probably will be the one that we've already discussed, but it's actually going to appear
1: (laughs) instead of just straight into pod. Straight into pod. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Peace.